All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Today, it's episode 295, if you can believe that, of the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing being brought in by none other than Biggie Smalls himself, Juicy. Over the next 45 minutes, me, Tom Bishop, Andrew Nakamura, Justin Gold, Wayne's World, Cyber Munchkin, Jay Smith, and all of you will be tearing through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, and I'll be giving my expert analysis and opinion on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. So how can you operationalize this at work next week or this week or you know, long-term strategic planning? Or if you're looking to break into the industry, I guarantee you, you're going to get value out of this briefing, whether it's the topics we talk about, the terminology that we use, or all these wonderful people in chat right now who are practitioners, supportive, inclusive people. Uh, Say hi. If you're a lurker, you know, consider stepping out of the shadows for a hot minute and saying what's up. You are part of this community just as much as everybody else. Before we get into it, though, I do want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors, starting with my good friend, Eric Taylor at Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicating to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. You know what they do? They straight up destroy (laughs) threat actors in your environment. Quarantine, eradicate, help you restore to a known good state. That's what Barricade Cyber does. Here's their website right here if you're following along on stream. BarricadeCyber.com. Links in the description below. Right on the homepage is Eric Taylor's own calendar. You can get on there right today, February 2nd. You can meet with him at 4.30 p.m. tonight. You can, Heck, you can meet with him at 7.30 p.m. Maybe make it a dinner date. I don't know where, where things go with you and Eric. But consider having a phone call with them or a Zoom or whatever and make sure that your business is protected. Also want to say shout out and thanks to uh, IT Pro by ACI Learning, formerly IT Pro TV, for sponsoring the stream and working with Simply Cyber. They will be a long-term partner with Simply Cyber. I'm very pleased to announce. Uh, so use the code SimplyCyber30 if you go over to IT Pro TV. Um, I think I have a... Um, yeah, if you, here, I'll drop this link in chat. If you go over here, this is like a special page for members of the Simply Cyber community. Here you go, Simply Cyber. Um, check it out. If you use the code Simply Cyber 30, you get a discount, which is absolutely super sick. All right. If you're here, I want to remind you, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. So be sure to say what's up in chat. Check with your certification body's policies to make sure that it applies. Like I said, and I've been saying for a few days now, I have looked at ISC squared and ISACA's certification policy, CPE policy, and I believe what we do here maps to a half a CPE per episode. I've got an open line out to ISACA right now to find out. So, oh my God, come on. Uh, three numbered with a, with a, yeah. Um, if you're watching live, love it. I see uh, 83 of you here right now. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we get a little bit of a slow start because of the uh the 10 a.m start but want to say what's up to the west coast people out there also if you're on team replay hashtag team replay in the comments drop drop a minimum hashtag team replay but also tell me what's up i i I get a lot of great comments in uh replay and i love it um so i you know just hold on we're gonna get into uh the stream i'm not gonna spend a terrible amount of time jaw jacking it is thursday though and I'll mention this at the mid-roll, but Thursday, Recon InfoSec, um, 
great company. They were the sponsor for a while. Um, they actually see the shirt I'm wearing, Recon InfoSec shirt. That's why I'm wearing it today. Thursday defensive webcast, an absolutely free, uh, you know, non-scheduled, non-vendor uh, hangout for practitioners. This is about as close as you're going to get to like lobby con at a, at a cyber conference. Um, it's just practitioners talking practitioner stuff. Everyone's invited. Nobody is, uh, there's no minimum requirements. You should definitely check it out. I'll put a link in chat on that as well. Okay, let's get some, let's get some music that's got a little bit more pep to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, there we go. Feel it. All right, so I started that song, but we're about to get into the news. So guys, do me a favor. The, we'll, we'll see you at the mid-roll. It is What's Your Meme Thursday, so stay tuned for that. Like I said, I, I only get to see it early. I do not influence what the meme is. And if you're a regular of the show and you caught my Tidbits Tuesday, then you know where Dan Reardon took the meme of the week. So sit back, relax, get your coffee, settle in. I'm going to take a slug off my juice. I want to say what's up to the Gordons if they're in the house. Kaija and Dave uh, might be checking out the stream. If you guys see them in chat, say hello to them. Good friends of ours who are visiting. Oh, yeah, that coffee's good, baby. All right, sit back, relax. Let's get into the news. I'll see you guys at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Watchdog calls for improved bank cyber testing. The FDIC's Office of Inspector General issued a report spelling out major deficits in the agency's Intrex program, which looks at IT and cyber risk at banks. The OIG found some of this due to information used in the Intrex system being outdated. In other cases, agency staff did not complete some tests. The report also found FDIC staff was not up to date on the latest cyber threats and lacked sufficient training. The OIG issued 19 steps needed to improve the situation, and the FDIC said it will carry out 14 of these by the end of 2023. Okay. I mean, oh, Jesus, guys. Like, yeah, I get it. The FDIC, they protect our money. They have to do with the stock exchange and all this other stuff. But they are, it says they're an independent government agency. Guys, that means they're a government agency. I don't care if they're independent, dependent, codependent, whatever pendant. They're a government agency, which means... They, they, they do all sorts of things, right? They probably don't have like the biggest budget to invest in all the things. They probably contract a lot, out a lot of services to the uh, minimum qualified, most economically advantageous to the government, right? Which means you're not getting, you know, you're getting discounted uh, services. So of course you're going to find that they're not staying up to date on the most current threats. Now, if the entire FDIC decided to uh, join the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, that would address that concern. They would be up to date on the, the most current threats. If you if you're getting if you're picking up what I'm putting down, boom, roasted. But what I do want to point out is this is not isolated to FDIC. This is across all government agencies. Um, they should be uh, focusing on. Um, you know, ba basic best practices. Th this report seems more around the individuals, less about the tech stacks used to protect the organizations from a um, from a cyber attack on a technical level, right? Here, the study found staff were not being kept abreast of latest cyber threat updates, no training for examiners. Um, so this is basically, it just sounds like this is kind of a deprecated, dilapidated, rundown um, kind of 
infosec program, if you will, for the staff over at the FDIC. Um, the FDC, FDIC CIO last year quit and wrote a scathing op-ed. Um, and he said that he received resistance from staff in response to modernization efforts. Oh my God, such as ending the use of fax machines and physical mail. Okay, so actually, you know what? Now that I'm reading this, here is the deal, okay? And th this is a real problem, guys, okay? You you'll run into this in some places, right? Okay, there's two things going on here. One, in order to make any significant impact on an organization, you need to have support from tone at the top. This is what governance is. Of governance, risk, and compliance. Risk and compliance are super easy to kind of like wrap your head around. Governance is like this nebulous idea of like attitude and culture and, and kind of like, what are we doing here? What's acceptable behavior? What are we willing to accept as far as risk goes? It sounds like an organization like this, if the CIO quit and wrote a scathing op-ed publicly about resistance to change, that tells me two things. One, it tells me that the leadership over at the FDIC is not, this is not a priority for them. And actually, this might be why the Office of Inspector General did an investigation on them in order to prime their pump to help adjust their attitude because now they're getting um, over oversight. The leadership is getting oversight over their lack of... Um, you know, modernization efforts and change. That's one thing. Two, um, even though the leadership is setting the governance, the, the lower group have to want to do it. If And this is a true fact. And people are going to say preach in chat right here. Welcome to the squad. Io, thank you. Listen, people are going to might might preach to this in chat. But listen to me. If you've got someone, and this has nothing to do with age. This is not an ageist comment. If you have someone who's been in the same role for like 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, they know how it's done. They built it. They were here long before you. Get off my lawn, kid, whatever. It usually it, it manifests in the IT department or, you know, sometimes like in business if they have like custom apps and stuff like that. But for a lot of the a lot of it, human beings are prone to enjoy and seek out routine, consistency, uh, familiarity. People stepping into the unknown, it's very uncomfortable. Um, as many of you know, working in InfoSec, right? It's very uncomfortable. So when you propose like, hey, we're gonna roll out MFA and hey, we're not gonna allow you, um, Carl. We're not gonna allow you to remote into your box using your custom team viewer. Like that ends today. And then they're like, oh no, like we're not gonna do that. That sucks. Like you get this pushback and resistance and then they go over you. And because the tone at the top isn't bought in, you get your your legs cut out from under you. Many organizations do this sadly. And it's only when they get hit by a cyber attack, do they fix all the things and then they get, you know, like basically you get that Carl, that, that 25 year old, or excuse me, 25 year long vet who is being forced to make changes. And you got to be careful. This is the final thing I'll have to say about this. You have to be careful guys. If you are introducing a, 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 a material change to workflows, operations or whatever at a business, and you're getting resistance from someone, it'll, it'll, it'll present itself pretty quickly. Be mindful of that individual. I'm not saying you got to go behind their back and like, you know, cut their access or make their life hard, but just be mindful that they will probably try to undermine what you're doing through, you know, technical, like trying to put technical circumvents around or like kind of trash talking uh, what you're doing there. So be mindful of all of that. And, and 
The final, final thing I'll say, and I've seen this happen too, so be aware of this. If if you're putting something into place in your organization, like rolling out multi-factor authentication, and anybody, and I mean anybody on your team, the InfoSec team, or even IT, is talking crap about MFA and how much of an impact it is to the end users, to the business side of the house, that is a huge, huge problem. You you are sowing seeds of... of, of um, discontent and and long-term problems even though it sounds simple like oh this mfa sucks like it sounds simple but dude i'm telling you that can manifest into something really gnarly so make sure if you're going to roll out a big project that's going to disrupt operations in a significant way you tell your staff like listen this is going to suck everybody take a bite of the crap sandwich and put a smile on your face let's go into the business and share this best best advice ever it's very difficult to roll that back containers hold high risk vulnerabilities Researchers at Sysdig looked into the security of container images, finding that 87% analyzed included high or critical vulnerabilities. Overall, these containers don't hold a threat surface for very long, with only 72% lasting less than five minutes. But these containers often have a lot of infrastructure access, with 90% of all granted permissions connected to unused containers. Sysdig also found evidence of overall container inefficiency. 59% of containers it looked at defined no CPU limits, and 69% of all requested CPU resources remained unused on average. It found overall container adoption maturing, but that misconfigurations and active vulnerabilities remained a challenge for organizations. Okay, so this is, this is interesting and not surprising. So uh, a container is basically like a Docker image. Uh, a Docker image, just to roll that back, is basically like kind of a, uh, a, 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 a a system in a box, right? Like like basically the cool thing with containers, Docker images, Kubernetes, whatever you want to call it, right? The cool thing is that I can build a system, right? And I can send it to you and you can run it on your computer and you don't have to worry about what version Python you're running or dependencies or drivers or any other crap. The, the whole thing is containerized. So it makes it very modular, very easy to share. Okay, this is like really, really popular right now. Like you may or may not know that you're using technologies that use this because they're standard images. They're going to work, right? You can spin them up and spin them down as all part of this like elastic cloud infrastructure, right? So this is why everybody's using Docker and loving it. Now, the interesting thing about the story is that 87% uh, of the ones uh, evaluated in this study were found to have uh, major vulnerabilities. Now, some people might take the position, oh, well, I spin up a Docker container and then I uh, I destroy it in like two minutes, right? Because I just spin it up to do something and then I destroy it afterwards. So if it gets infected, who gives a crap? Because I'm going to burn it down anyways in a few minutes. It's not long-term persistent infrastructure. It's just whatever. Well, to the story's point, a lot of times that Docker container will be spun up, but it'll have access to other resources. So I almost feel like this would be an awesome plot to like a Mission Impossible movie or almost like, I almost think it'd be more for like a, a heist movie. Like, um, don't say Swordfish. Okay. We're not going to go into Swordfish. You guys know how I feel about Swordfish, but like, um, like a gone in 60 seconds, but instead of cars, they're stealing like money or something like that. And the initial infector vector is like, 
oh, this container is going to pop up and we're going to bust through it and get into the back end. But there's a timer because it only spins up for four minutes. Now you've introduced uh, like a time element, a high, a high risk and like, ooh, like it's tick, 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 tick. And then you get out with the goods right before the container destroys itself, right? Perfect uh, storyline. The only thing that you have to know is uh, just like network configurations that get spun up and then deployed uh, insecurely, like an S3 bucket that's open to the public for no reason. You've got to be mindful. Docker containers, I've seen Docker container file, like the Docker file itself. It's usually just what you need, right? It's just like, here's the operating system. Here's a couple configurations. Maybe here's some files that you want um, to, to pull down, like get, you know a Git pull or something like that. And here you go, off you go. You're putting a lot of stock into that the operating system that you're pulling into that container is already configured in a secure way, which it's probably not going to be, or it's not guaranteed to be secured in a way that's appropriate. So it is a major issue. I, I would, like anything else, like any good GRC analyst, you guys know where my, my heart is for GRC, right? I, I love me some GRC. I'm a, I'm a GRC evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. <laughs> um, you do have to do a risk analysis here between likelihood of compromise and impact. Uh, because the time frame of the container image is so low, the likelihood of someone getting in and then moving around and stuff like that is a little bit lower. Five minutes is plenty of time though, uh, especially if the threat actor can predict when it's gonna get spun up and have an idea of what um, it's going to look like, which they would because these images are you know the same image every time. So I guess just be mindful of that. Also, what's the impact, right? Like if you're running Docker images for, you know, like a, a, a lab or something like that, a little bit less of a risk than if you're running Docker images to, to like spin up and scale down like a crypto trading platform or something like that, where there's like real uh, money. Cause you know, you guys know. Cash, homie. All right, let's keep rolling. 2022 set a record for crypto hacks. Ooh. A new report from Chainalysis detailed the scope of cyber attacks on the cryptocurrency industry. It found overall that the value of these attacks hit $3.8 billion in the year, up 15% from the year before. Attack volume varied throughout the year. October proved the single biggest month ever for cryptocurrency hacks, with $775.7 million stolen in 32 attacks. In the year, DeFi protocols accounted for 82% of all stolen cryptocurrency. Within that category, 64% of stolen funds came from cross-chain bridge protocols. Chainalysis estimates North Korean-backed attackers stole $1.65 billion in cryptocurrency, shattering the previous 2018 record of $522.3 million. All right. I just want to look really quick at Lazarus Group uh, timeline, see if we can see, like, do we have a nice graphic? Ooh, yeah, look at this. You guys know I love a good graphic. Get in here. I haven't vetted this. So oh, God, it's going to be all pixelated. <sighs> Ugh. Now is the winter of my discontent. All right. Well, that didn't work the way I wanted it to. All right. So here's the deal. Obviously, because it is a crypto story. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. I am a chain analysis fan, guys. You can't really see it because the screen is uh, covered over. I'm going to drop this link in chat right now. Dude, chain analysis. After I listen to that Darknet Diaries, I'm all in on chain analysis, okay? Um, I, I, I like want to get a t-shirt and wear it like I heart chain analysis. Okay. They do a graphic here that just highlights that, um, crypto hacking, cryptocurrency, digital currency, Bitcoin, whatever you want. Um, the amount stolen, not just like traded and everything like that, but just straight up, um, 
you know, theft, cash money, right? Blue. I mean, it's, it's so relative though, like to blow away the 2021 one, it was only a half a billion dollars more, which I mean, a half a billion dollars would alter my life in a way that I couldn't even begin to understand. But when you're talking about $3 billion, like 3.3 to 3.8, half, half a billion is like, you know, like not, not bad for a Friday, you know? So um, it is interesting. I, there's two interesting things here. One, I'm not surprised. If you think about how much money in the last two years, especially post-pandemic, where people are at home, people got more time to do research, people are trying, like losing their job or, you know... Um, being overemployed and having access to a little bit more money to invest in digital stuff like this, there's more activity. So you know, you know what uh, criminals like to do? They like to go where the money is, right? They like to go where the activity is. And there's a lot of people who are not um, really understanding what they're doing, or they're just jumping into crypto for fun. Um, and a lot of these businesses like FTX, Axie Infinity, Ronin Bridge, the whole metaverse and what uh, Zuckerberg's doing over there. So I'm not surprised. I, I, I suspect that this will go down significantly in 2023 simply because of the crypto winner, the value of cryptos tanking, uh, ransomware threat actors aren't being uh, paid as much. So there's less activity of Bitcoin uh, transactions happening. The important thing to note here for me, not only is it you know $4 billion in crypto hacks, the, the interesting thing here is this orange line, right? So the total number of hacks was... Uh, uh, like 250, it looks like in 2021, down to under 200, like 190 attacks. So there's like a um, like a 20% decrease in attacks, but a say you know 15% increase in um in, in impact, right? So like the frequency is lower, but the impact is higher. So that's really interesting. Obviously, this data is slightly skewed, and it's important to note. Uh, they call out North Korea here. Guys, Lazarus Group, if you're not familiar with Lazarus Group, you should be familiar with them. Like li literally, like there's a couple advanced persistent threat actors that everybody in the industry should know. Okay. There's lots and lots of threat actors, but there's a couple that are absolute gotta know them. Lazarus Group is one of them. It is, uh, I forget which APT number they get, like APT 38 or something, but Lazarus Group is what everybody calls them. And they are North Korea, and they just straight up commit uh, essentially like armed robbery all the time, all over the place, except it's digital and it's always crypto. And they have stolen like half a billion dollars, $600 million, $472 million. Like they, they go, when you talk about big game hunting, these guys go ham for big game hunting. So these numbers are definitely skewed, which is why I wanted to bring up Lazarus Group as a graphic to see when they really... Uh, started getting going and, and what those values were. Guys, Lazarus Group is the same group that uh, attempted to steal a billion dollars from the Bank of Bangladesh in uh, like 2020 or 2019, okay? Like, anyways, that's what this is. It's interesting. Who doesn't like a good histogram? Next story. DDoS attacks on the rise. According to a report from the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, distributed denial-of-service attacks targeting the global financial sector increased 22% on the year in 2022 as of November. Europe experienced a more troubling rise, up 73%. The report cited political aims as a reason for the increase, with threat groups operating DDoS campaigns as a result of the situation in Ukraine, China, and Taiwan. 
FSISAC specifically cited the work of the Russian Link Killnet threat group, which operated DDoS campaigns targeting several European countries over the last year. And so just as a fun fact, today's lecture at the Citadel was all on denial of service and distributed denial of service. So guys, really quickly, denial of service attack, if you don't know what it is, it's basically when you push a lot of, like typically you push a lot of traffic at a um, publicly facing uh, target, right? Like, so a website and you have a, it's distributed denial of service if you have a bunch of devices pointed and pushing traffic. And essentially the, the straw can only, like the, the straw can only suck up so much water, right? So if you fill the straw with, um, just trash traffic from all your bots, then legitimate traffic can't enter the straw, can't get to the resource, and you effectively take it off the internet. This is denial of service attack. Now, it's kind of a crude attack. Um, it's been around for years and years and years. Um, a really famous one um, that kind of came on the scene a while ago was Mirai, Mirai Botnet, M-I-R-A-I. Uh, definitely a very interesting story um, to to. to you know, research on your own time, but definitely check that out. It says here, raise, raising concerns for banks. Um, right now, because of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, there are some, there are a lot of people who are activists, like pro-Ukraine or pro-Russia, who are opting into botnets in order to help the cause of whatever it is that they believe in. Uh, and, and because of that, um, these botnets, these capabilities to push traffic at targets are getting larger and easier to control because normally botnets have to be like a threat actor has to compromise an asset. The asset has to remain compromised. The ability to send command and control um, commands or, or traffic to the devices needs to remain open. The device can't be rebooted. All these things, right? Well, if you opt in, like... What do I need to do? Just leave it on? I'll leave it on. What do I need to do? Lo load this file? I'll load this file. What do I need to do? Right? So that's part of the reason. Um, now they're saying here that banks in Europe are actually being targeted quite a bit. Again, this only happens to publicly facing systems, but you could easily see like, um, just to give you a couple like uh, case use cases here. Let's say that uh, you take a denial of service attack and you point it at like the front page of uh, Fidelity, like Fidelity Investments, TD Ameritrade, what, whatever it is, right? You hammer them and then you start making some like uh, trades that like, you know, North Korea Lazarus Group sells a bunch of Bitcoin, like effectively tanking the market and nobody can log in to like sell or, or, or buy or put their positions in, right? You're effectively uh, not just pulling the website down, but you're removing the ability for individuals to access their own money, which is obviously going to cause panic. It's not like you can go down to the Fidelity store and take your money out, right? So uh, this is why it's a concern in the financial sector. Uh, you'll also see um, there's a lot of examples of Russia at the beginning of the Ukrainian conflict, like uh, late, um, late February 22, early March 22, uh, several denial of service attacks on Ukrainian government institutions, financial services, um, in preparation of the invasion of Ukraine. We also saw um, the IT army, the Ukrainian IT army, attacking uh, the Russian stock market and bringing them down. We even saw a couple of weeks ago that Russia, Russia's largest ISP, noted that they had seen the largest denial of service attack in Russia in 2022. So it's denial of service. Hey, you know what? Where's my Oprah emote? There's Oprah. You get a denial of service. You get a denial of service. You get a denial of service. There we go. Let's do the mid-roll. Now, a word from our sponsor, Hunters. 
Hunters is a complete SOC platform, purpose-built for your security operations team. Hunter's brand new IOC search is a game-changing search tool that determines if a known indicator of compromise has been in your organization's environment without needing to write a single line of code. Type an IOC into the search bar, hit enter, and get results within seconds. Visit hunters.ai to learn more. All right, it Yuffie is the mid-roll, so let's do what we do here. All right. If you're new here, if you're Kaija and Dave and you haven't seen the stream before, uh, at the mid-roll, I take a hot minute. We do a little Simple Minds. I want to thank all of you. Thank you, Dan Catledge. Thank you, Nathan Bolin. Thank you, Harish Kumar and CyberJS, Neon Nomad. Thank you for being here, all of you, today and taking some time out of your busy schedule to learn, hear, share, network all about the cybersecurities. If you're getting entertainment value out of the stream, if you're getting educational value out of the stream, hell, if you're getting any type of value out of the stream, take a hot second, hit the like button. It takes all of two seconds. We're hanging out in the mid-roll anyways. If you hit the like button, it helps other cybersecurity people find it. At one point in your life, you didn't know about this stream. Now you do. And it's probably because I was asking people in chat Days before, hit the like button so people can find it. So pay it forward and uh, hit the like button. Thank you to Barricade Cyber Solutions for your continued support. Thank you to IT Pro by ACI Learning uh, for your guys' support. Love working with you. Guys, if you want to get an email from me every single Monday morning with actionable intel that you can literally do something with to help reduce risk for your organization, go to simplycyber.io slash newsletter, exclamation point newsletter in chat. Sign up. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. I don't care. I, I don't even look at who unsubscribes. So you, no one will know. No one will know that you unsubscribed. I won't know you unsubscribed. Just a reminder that it is Thursday. So at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, um, Thursday defensive will be happening. I have, uh, we have family in town or, well, it is like family, good friends, family in town. So I won't be able to attend. But Ronnie Taco Katsky is the guest today. I'll tell you right now, guys, we, the, Recon InfoSec always has awesome guests. February 9th, next Thursday, Chris Sanders. Guys, if you want to talk about appointment viewing, Chris Sanders is legit. This dude is such an awesome guy, incredibly smart um, digital forensics and incident response, blue team, SOC. He's written the book on defense. He, he's just a treasure. Um, I believe he's SANS instructor as well. Dude, asking good investigative questions is his topic. This is appointment viewing, guys. You will not want to miss this one. Like, I'm going to make a super... I'm going to make a super push on this one next Thursday. I'm scheduling around this Thursday defensive next week. So be there. Check it out this week, too, if you're interested. Thank you to Recon InfoSec for doing the community service. Now, guys, it's time for the meme of the week. Now, if you were here on Tuesday, you know that I shared with you guys that I was a houseboy at a sorority for four and a half years um, at UMass Amherst, okay? <laughs> Dan Reardon makes a meme every Thursday, custom for us, and here is this Thursday's meme. Looks like I'm Dobie, AKA the best houseboy at the Tri-Delts sorority. Uh, with my frying pan. So thank you. Thank you so much to Haircut Fish for 
hooking up the custom memes. Yeah, Casey, good to see you, Base Case. I'll leave it up here for a hot minute because Dan Reardon did did he he does bust his hump, man. He does good work, and I gotta I own it. You know what I mean? I told you I do not censor haircut me uh, haircut fishes memes. I just roll with them. All right, we always have a good time here, but we're only halfway through the show. We got to get back to the news, guys. So settle back in, hit that coffee fill up again. Let's get into it. Thanks, thanks, Dan Reardon for the uh, the meme. We'll see you guys. Up, it's encryption. Over the past few months, The Verge disclosed security findings on Eufy security cameras. It found the cameras sent images to cloud servers and streamed unencrypted video feeds. Eufy claims that all data was kept locally. In a response to inquiries from the outlet, Anchor confirmed The Verge's findings that Eufy security cameras produced unencrypted video streams for the service's web portal. Anchor said that all video streams to the web portal are now end-to-end -end encrypted and is in the process of updating all Eufy cameras to use WebRTC, which is encrypted by default. It also said it will create an official bug bounty program for Eufy and bring in outside security auditors. Um, okay, so this this story has come up a couple times in, the, in our threat briefings. Um, basically, I, I, I use Anchor... Um, anchor products um but it's usually like battery like batteries or chargers right like this is uh this is my my battery like my portable battery thing right like you know like your portable brick or whatever you want to call it and i think it's an anchor one i have anchor pro i like anchor i didn't know that they had this eufy security camera that i suppose looks like this thing they've been embroiled in controversy lately because essentially they promised a lot of security features and didn't put any of them in. Uh, and then, and then you guys want a master class in how not to handle a, 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 a show? This right here is a perfect one. This could be like a business case at business school on how not to handle this. So basically, they were not doing these things. It came out, security researchers were like, this product is not doing what it says it is. It's not secure. And Anchor said, that's not possible. And then after some more pushback and some more evidence, they tried to like delete stuff and hide stuff and that didn't work. Then they just deflected like, oh no, like you're mistaken or like, you know, deflect, deflect, accuse, all these other things. And then finally, now they've admitted uh, they weren't natively unencrypted. Uh, they did produce unencrypted video streams. Uh, they did store things locally. Uh, so they say it's now largely fixed. Like, wait, wait, like, way to go. Here's your like participant ribbon anchor. Okay, I'm sure that there were because of all this uh, unencryption uh, end to end and stuff like that. I'm sure that there were um, opportunities to either sniff the traffic in in between and and get the video feeds right. Uh, you could also um, like you know it, it, depending on the this is around the in, the feed itself, but I don't know if the device itself was insecure, so you could connect and look through it. Um, one one. Um, one use case to give consideration for with it being unencrypted, it is possible, right? To not just attack the confidentiality. So like, Ooh, like we're, we're voyeurs. We're looking through their, their camera feed. Ooh, look at us. Right. So like there's that one, that's the obvious use case, but there's an integrity use case here as well. Let's say for a second, and this is completely realistic and this is not terribly difficult to do. Say for a second that you get the feed. Well, then you record 
10 minutes of the feed because it's unencrypted. You got access to it. You record it. Now you interrupt the feed and push the 10 minutes of recording. Like every heist movie where they, they like get the CCTV and then they play it on a loop or they put a photograph in front of the camera, whatever it is. It's not unrealistic to do that. And then now the camera is effectively not doing what it's supposed to do, right? It's still catching the feed, but it's being uh, it's being transmitted to the wrong endpoint. And the legitimate endpoint is getting a uh, a replay of the feed. And because it's all unencrypted, you can do this because you wouldn't, it's not, if it was encrypted, you'd have to break the encryption. Then you could interrupt it. Then you'd have to re-encrypt it to send it back, right? It could get into some issues and stuff like that. So um, whatever, this is not a good look for them. Um, although for some reason, this wasn't really, uh, like mainstream, mainstream media. I don't know if anyone else heard about this, but like, I mean, I'm, I'm like living and breathing all this stuff and I barely heard about this. Um, so yeah, consumer privacy, definitely a big deal. All right. With all of this home security stuff, guys, I'll tell you what, like I, I won't put a video feed in my house. Uh, I, you know, ring doorbell. Okay. But like in your house, I don't know. There's been multiple instances of people, um, working at these companies, like watching the feeds or listening to the conversations. There was a really famous one. Amazon had to apologize or it was either Amazon or Google. I feel like it was Google had to apologize because they had outsourced. It was Amazon. They had outsourced quality control for the device to be able to detect the keywords um to some company in Ukraine it could have been anywhere it could have been South Carolina it could have been Ukraine it could have been the moon it doesn't matter that it's Ukraine it just if you're going to find the story that's how you would find it and they found out that the people were supposed to just be listening to snippets and then destroying the data and instead they were listening to full conversations and they had almost like developed it as like a soap opera like so they'd find like you know these couples or these families with these devices who had like really interesting lives or like they would be yelling at each other all the time. And it became almost like a soap opera for the people like, you know, Oh, got to get to work today and see like if Carl lost his job at the plant or see if he's going to find out that his wife's cheating on him because you know, um, they could hear everything. Right. And that obviously was a gross invasion of privacy. They got, they got their, um, their hand slapped wicked hard and it wasn't good for anyone go check that story out. Um, LTT segments. What's LTT base case? Let me know in chat. I'm going to go to the next story, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, it was like Truman Show. Cisco industrial gear hit with command injection bugs. Researchers at Trellix disclosed two vulnerabilities in Cisco networking gear. One bug allows for remote code execution, but the code was pre-production, limiting the risk of exploitation. The other was a command injection vulnerability. Okay, yeah, I've seen Linus Tech Tips. I just didn't know it was called LTT. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like Jesus, I'm 43, Justin. Give me some. Give me a break. I take I take Advil as part of my afternoon, uh, like snack time. Okay. <laughs> that could allow for root level access and remote code execution with persistence when rebooting or updating the device. This flaw impacted networking devices used at industrial sites and critical infrastructure, including some industrial gateways and routers, access points, and ISRs. Trellix noted that Cisco's shift to adding more compute capacity to networking equipment, enabling things like running containers and virtual machines, opened the door to vulnerabilities in their advanced application hosting environment. All right, hold on one second. Damn. So this is, uh, I mean, this is part of the reason why I do the threat intelligence briefing to learn stuff. So I didn't know this. So like when I think of Cisco gear, I think of 
uh, wire, you know, like network access points, network devices, firewalls, gateway routers, like all that stuff, right? Well, apparently these devices are so beefy now that you can deploy, like, I don't even get why or how you would do this, but you can deploy full containers, like we talked about a little while ago, or VMs on the devices. Someone will have to educate me on why you'd want to deploy a VM on a, on a router. That doesn't make any freaking sense to me, but whatever. Um, but because of that nature, now you're getting a full, a full operating system that isn't just the original iOS, but you're getting a more beefed up operating system that um, allows functionality, frankly, and access. So uh, there's a couple bugs out here. Um, This bug wasn't even released yet, so I don't even know why they marked it as a bug, um, simply because it's it was never actually pushed to production. Uh, this one is a bug in production. Uh, command injection flaw, unauthorized RCE. Okay, and, and pretty nasty that it has persistence through upgrades and updates. So it, it must be a, um, you can get into like, you know, the firmware or you get into like some type of master boot record type thing. Um, this is pretty gnarly. Obviously, Cisco is used in many, many, many places. I, I suppose if you have decent a access, uh, asset inventory, if you're if you're connected to your um, your network admins, your IT admins, this is definitely one to share with them and be mindful of. You should be patching your stuff, but uh, you'll have, like people in chat. Let me know. BSEC, let me know. Uh, I do feel like network devices get updated a little less frequently than endpoints simply because it's a little bit more disruptive um, and it requires like manual, like, or back when I used to do it, like manual intervention, you've got to go to the device. Like with, with Windows machines, you can use like, um, oh my God, SCCM or something like that. You can use some type of centralized management to touch all the endpoints. So it's very, it's very realistic to manage a fleet of machines. I don't know if there's like a super management console for networking devices. There, there probably is, but um, just, this is probably gonna be the story for your peers this week uh, or next Mondays. Um, just be mindful, this sounds like a pretty nasty bug. And because these things are typically internet facing, I could imagine, so, I, the final thing, usually these are internet facing. Usually they're used by like, you know, Fortune 100 companies and it's a pretty nasty bug. So you just want to make sure it's taken care of, right? They also mention um, in, industrial gear, right? Cisco industrial gear. So now you're talking about maybe operational technology getting in there where you could have some serious effect, right? Screw up manufacturing, screw up energy production. CISA hopes to help K through 12 cybersecurity. Last week, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency released recommendations and a toolkit to help K-12 <clears throat> school districts address the rise in cybersecurity attacks against these institutions. CISA estimates that K-12 cyber incidents increased fourfold from 2018 to 2021. This comes as two school districts in the U.S., in Tucson, Arizona, and Nantucket, Massachusetts, both experienced cyber attacks in early 2023. The latter of the two was forced to cancel classes for two days as a result. All right, a couple of things. Um, ooh, Swan. So I'm from Massachusetts, right? So like Nantucket, Swansea, uh, we see these things. Um, so K through 12 is getting hammered, okay? We got that. CIS is going to help them. I'm kind of curious how CIS is helping them. They released a report with recommendations and resources. The problem is, guys... 
like, okay. I appreciate it. Okay. Here's, here's the real problem. Okay. There's a lot going on here. One, a toolkit is, is not the problem. K through 12 schools are typically underfunded. They can't even pay the freaking teachers. Well, do you think they're really going to have a beefed up IT staff or even a dedicated cyber person? No. So a toolkit's awesome, but who's going to operationalize it? Like Mr. Feldman, the gym teacher? Like, no, like who is doing this? So I think they're kind of missing the boat on that. Second of all, K through 12 is going to get hit, right? Like Royal Ransomware, Vice Society, um, Vice Society specifically are the ones that hit LA uh, County School District. They are, K through 12 isn't equipped to defend themselves well. Next thing, Nantucket. Now, Nantucket, there's an interesting thing about Nantucket. Nantucket is like filthy rich, okay? Like, let's just be honest about it, right? Uh, a lot of wealthy people uh, vacation there. Um, it's very expensive to live there. And hey, you know what? If you got it, you got it, right? Cash, if you're rocking straight cash, homie, you know, whatever. Buy buy a house on Nantucket. Go for it. But my mind immediately goes to like, well, if they're that wealthy, then the school system sh should be like stacked up with like tech and stuff like that. But I'm sure it's just like everywhere else. It's not as funded well. Um, and from a threat actor perspective, it actually makes a lot of sense to attack Nantucket because that's where the money is, right? So you're more likely to get paid out on a ransom from a wealthy school district than you are hitting like a, an impoverished area, right? Like, I don't know if Detroit is still considered um, in really bad financial straits or not. They were years ago, um, but like, you know, hitting Detroit, for example. So I, I could see the logic between hitting that. Um, this is interesting. I do think K through 12 does need help. Uh, but it's more around like resources, not toolkits, right? Like giving anybody like great tech it, it, or great processes is fine. But one of the things you should always ask is who's going to do the work? Who's going to care and feed for this tech? Who's going to operationalize? Who's accountable for the workflows that you're asking us to do? A lot of times that falls on deaf ears. Oh, we're all, all hands on deck. Everybody wears many hats. Yeah, okay. Like, it's called burnout, and that, that'll happen. So don't cut your nose off to spite your face. DDoS as a service, a passion project for pro-Russian actors. The security firm Radware discovered a DDoS as a service platform named Passion used by pro-Russian actors to target medical organizations in Western countries. The DDoS network was used on January 27th in seeming retaliation against several countries for sending tanks and other supplies to Ukraine. Radware reports the Passion platform shows ties with other Russian threat groups. Passion appears to be a relatively new operator, first promoting services in early January 2023. We talk about the cybersecurity. All right, so that's the news. Let me turn the volume down because, you know, on my last story, I do like to have a little bit of... Uh... A little bit of Muzak going on underneath. Um, Io Akinola said, interesting perspective, Jerry. I said a lot of stuff, Io. I'm curious what perspective I said that you found interesting. Um, yeah, Jim Lund going right toward financial uh, uh, forensic auditing. That's definitely a good way to do it. Um, all right, so guys, here's the thing. Um, this story came out last week that... Um, Killnet, which is like one of these really large DDoS services out of Russia, pro-Russia, uh, it's definitely a hacktivist type campaign, attacked the crap out of Germany a few days ago. German banks, German government websites, if you guys recall. 
Um, I saw some thread intel. I won't tell you where because I don't know if it's like public or anything. But I saw some thread intel that would suggest that the operators of Killnet are trying to like whip everybody up into a frenzy and and get the DDoS going to attack United States healthcare system. So I I, I heard that um, yesterday or two days ago. And uh, so I'm not surprised to see this story. This is totally on brand with um, exactly what is uh, was predicted. Uh, I, unfortunately, I think that there's going to be more of this before there's less of this. You can have DDoS services. Um, in fact, this actually reminds me of something. Um, I got to take a take a note to contact somebody about this. Um, so. You can have DDoS services um, to help mitigate and protect, but uh, even those can be brought down, right? Famously, uh, just, you know, for fun, like the Mirai botnet, since I was talking about that earlier, um, they brought down uh, Akamai, right? Like Krebs on security, Brian Krebs, he had Akamai for his DDoS service and Akamai actually contacted him and was like, Brian, like, we can't sustain this level of attack. You're going to have to host your your website or you're gonna you're gonna have to like use a different service we can't help you like that's how strong the mirai botnet was right so there are services but those can even be overwhelmed as well um again with healthcare systems you know you'd think like oh i'm a doctor i can check your you know your your temperature or whatever uh no big deal but you've got to remember people as we get more and more interconnected and depending on cloud services and stuff like that, it's completely possible that my medical record is hosted somewhere in the cloud by a service provider that does, you know, EMR, right? Like there's like Epic uh, Healthcare uh, is one of these big, big name ones. Uh, there's a couple other ones uh, that I can't think of right now, but it doesn't matter. There's other ones. If those get denial of service attacked, nobody is going to be able to access patient records. Do you understand how this could be a problem? You don't know what, you don't know like what my treatment plan is. You don't know what prescriptions I'm allergic to. Um, I could be unconscious. You don't even know like who I am. Scheduling, dude, healthcare systems are wildly complicated, right? So there's like billing, there's scheduling. Like if you knock out the scheduling system, like people are just walking in. You're like, who are you? Like, what are you here for? Very, very cumbersome. And it could lead to patient safety issues. So this isn't good. And the fact that the United States healthcare systems are being attacked, I believe will warrant swift response from the US federal government. So look for that to happen. This is speculation, right? Hold on, let me do my, um, where's my tinfoil hat, Jerry? I'm just making predictions over here, okay? I think the US government may uh, respond in kind. All right, so where are we on time? 10.50, couple minutes over. Sorry to base case in the NCC group, um, you know, for, for uh, five minutes over. If you were here for the news, thanks so much. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday at 8 a.m. I will be uh, hosting, but it, it, hey, tune in tomorrow because there's a high probability of audio issues and all sorts of stuff. I'm gonna be operating from the mobile uh, studio uh, and I haven't spun the mobile studio up since Las Vegas in July. Um, so I don't even remember how I set it up. So expect audio issues tomorrow. Bring your memes, uh, you know, bring a, 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 a large salt lick of grace so you can give it to me. You'll have to grant me some grace as we get spun up tomorrow. But 
Otherwise, thank you all so, so much for being here. I'll spend two minutes jawjacking, but for the rest of you, peace out. All right. What's up, Andrew Nakamura? My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Jenny Housley. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited. Oh, I can I can reveal it now, guys, because the surprise has been dropped. All right. Are there any resources that you would recommend to learning more about healthcare infosec? Shane, the ITRD. Um, yeah, Shane. Uh, well, I mean, you should get familiar with HIPAA, right? Even though HIPAA isn't like wicked awesome and it's kind of cumbersome and bloated. If you get familiar with HIPAA, um, HIPAA is a big thing, but there is HIPAA um, cybersecurity and privacy. And if you're going to work in healthcare, you have to know about HIPAA. So this would be a huge thing. Like if you were going to go interview for a job at a healthcare system, if you explain to them that you completely understood HIPAA security and privacy rules and how to implement them and the challenges of them and all that, that would go a long way into identifying you as an absolute uh, great candidate. Um, also, there is an ISAC. It's the HISAC. You do have to be a member uh, to, to get into that, but they may have some like threat intel uh, traffic light white stuff, meaning uh, like public stuff. Come on, man. I, dude, I am so spoiled. Like when I click on something and it doesn't immediately load, I get pissed. It's like the same with like shows that uh, you can't binge watch anymore, like The Last of Us. Like I'm so annoyed that I can't watch all of it at once. Uh, come on, man. Any, all right. So anyways, H. Isaac's a good one. Uh, so Jenny Housley, um, I, I surprised my wife. Her birthday is this weekend. I surprised her. Uh, her uh, closest friends have appeared in town and they will be uh, going uh, on an excursion that's been planned for them. Uh, and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to stay here and watch kids and, and dogs and, and uh, take care of all those things. There we go. Here's HISAC. Get in on that. Basically, just immerse yourself in this space. VMs and routers, honeypots and VN scanners. They're both valid use cases, but I would never recommend it. Feels icky to me. Exactly, casually, Joseph. Just, like, guys, okay, come on. Like this. Uh... Okay. J Casually Joseph. The network engineers were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to ask if they should. Like, why are we putting VMs on freaking routers, people? Like, just because you can. I'm sure there's some use case that makes sense, but it seems stupid to me. All right. Last of Us is really good, and I will watch episodes two through X once they're all published. Oh my God, that's so funny, uh, Kimberly. <laughs> Time for a new computer. Secret reservation went well, InfoSec kid. It was all part of the complete package, the dossier, if you will. I, I don't want to reveal too much just from like an OPSEC perspective, but my Discord just went down, so I'm probably having network uh, issues right now, bandwidth issues, but. All right. Guys, all the best. Thank you all so much for being here. Genuinely enjoyed it. Harish, um, I mean, I would spend 20 minutes figuring out what uh, containers are and looking at them, but I wouldn't spend too much. I wouldn't spend too much time on them. I would get fundamentals first, okay? 
I've heard a lot about the third episode of Last of Us. I, I, no spoilers, uh, but I've heard it's something. All right, guys. You guys be good. I'll catch you tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Thursday defensive this week, guys. If you do Thursday defensive and you want to you wanna be uh, all about good times, drop a hashtag, Simply Cyber, in the, in the chat on Thursday defensive. See if we can, quote, unquote, raid them. It'll be fun. All right, guys. Be good. We'll see you on Friday. All the best. Until next time, stay secure.